HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. So that's what you get, Mike. Look, I mean, I put a picture of where we're going to be on Twitter and say what time. I guess you get what you pay for. So we were, we're sitting down to uh, do our podcast. We, Mike posted a picture of where we'd be in a rough time. Yeah. I mean, rough time up for us. I mean, it was, you know, a pretty specific time. <laughs> we, we roughly hit it. Well, uh, you said you were going to be like 10 minutes late. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. Uh, and then uh, as we're sitting down, so we just came up. He's like, hey, I just wanted to say, uh, you're a big fan of the podcast. I'm a friend of Marshall's. We've talked on Twitter a couple times. This guy, Zach. You know, I have yeah, actually interacted with him on Twitter. It was just kind of cool and random. That's cool. And this guy, Marshall, we mentioned this. Is he just like raised like 40, 45K on Kickstarter yeah, yeah, last month? Yeah. Nice job. Yeah, pretty sick. Pretty sick. I'm proud so, of him. Uh, so I just uh, I just did a last call for topics. You uh, sound desperate. No, well, no, I mean, I did an earlier call and then I did one last call saying we we're going to talk about stuff. And basically, the idea that, you know, it's going to be like talk radio. Except we don't talk to anyone and jackhammers. <laughs> so more of the same. A, which could be our podcast title <laughs> so, for this episode and jackhammers. Because I was like rain pending. Are we going to meet at the same gay time, same gay place? And then like Voltaire Baya, who after Plubby is probably our longest tenure oh, yeah, yeah, listener. For sure. Like, are there actually rain delays for, for magic? But I was like, well... We kind of stand out in a street corner yeah, I mean, we're, and do our podcast. We're, so. we're, we're under an awning. So, I mean, theoretically, we could uh, we could get away with that. So, uh, our first uh, caller, as it were, was John Capora. And I think he was poking Feb, us. Feb 31st? Yeah, I think he was poking us, though. He's like, uh, so, sim- could you discuss the similarities between current standard and Kamigawa Rav standard? I think that's a jab. I don't think that's an actual discussion but he's going to get that discussion anyway it, it is the same standard <laughs> like right like you've got like a i wasn't sure so I, I just said when i when he i was replying to him i was like ask and the unwashed m dash and gnarled m dash masses shall get answered it's the reverse right so theros is kamigawa block so we've only got the first one <laughs> return to rav is just rav <laughs> so it's it's very similar i mean it's interesting. Um, I was doing a standard roundup on my Star City column, and I was just noticing like there's. I, I, mean, I do think of Mono Blue Devotion as a dominant deck. I mean, that's actually. A, I think it, it, I, honestly, it looks a little bit like a one week deck, doesn't it? It's, so I, I think of it like I'm shocked that like four weeks after the Pro Tour, it's still putting up top eights. Like, <laughs> it just seems like a, this deck that like, of course, it might be good at a Pro Tour, but there's so many decks like that that were like good at a Pro Tour and then no one ever sees them again. Well, I mean, it's a good. I mean, it's a good deck, but it's not the. It's not the dominant. Yeah, it's not like a Delver deck. It's got so many holes. You sure. Know? Yes. Yes. Which it's is not. I'm not denigrating anyone's yeah. finishes with it. I'm just saying this isn't this isn't the profile of a deck. But but but, but it's interesting. I just did an interview with Ari Lax for my columnist. Yeah. Uh, he won the legacy Death and cha- taxes. Death yeah. and taxes won the legacy championship. Really, really one of my favorite Magic players to talk to about the game. I just I like, you know, present company excluded. Did Ari come up through um, Manning Bot slash? Um, Slash uh, the slash Gavin's team. Yeah, he was he was the founder of the team actually. Oh, really? He's I the, Gavin he, was the founder. No, no, no. Ari Lax is actually the founder of Team Unknown Stars. So like, 
uh, Chris Calcano, Chris Massioli, Gavin Verhey, uh, a bunch of other players of that sort of... Former number one apprentice, Asher yeah. Manning, Bob Asher Man- Yeah, yeah. All those guys came up through that sort of, you know, uh, at a time where there wasn't... Uh, you know, it was like, hey, we're all up-and-coming players. We're all, you know, sort of refugees from the defunct Junior Super Series. You know, let's let's get together and, and, you know, talk about... And, you know, those guys would, like, wreck states every year. You know, they would just come up with, like, you know, format-defining uh, decks. But anyway, it was interesting. I was talking to him, and he was talking about his deck for Pro Tour Theros. And his yeah. team played Rakdos Cackler, Magus's Marauders, like... This like really like super super aggro. The deck that just won Santiago. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know it was a, a miserable deck for them at the Pro Tour because of just Quantum blue devotion. Because of, because of different various other things, right? Also like maybe the the, the maybe the, the dominance of Esper. People still played Anger of the Gods, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like whatever it was, right? Like it's just you know for the the the. the, the it's interesting, I mean, like the how tier, the, the, the the sort of ebb and flow of the, the standard the format. The tier one point five American pros were just like married to anger of the gods. It was their wife <laughs> going into that. You know, you know who I'm talking about. All of them. Yeah, <laughs> they had six anger of the gods in their deck. They loved it so much. Um, yeah, so people played that. Now they play, you know, pack rat. <laughs> I saw some people raving about Packrat today on Facebook. Like, it's still, like, they're just like, this card's ridiculous. But, uh, so do you, do you, do you think this format is, what, what makes you think, feel like this format is similar to Rav uh, Champions? It's only casually, it's not very linear. It's like maybe a little casually linear. You know, you've got the devotion decks. Um, I mean, there's, you, there's no, there's no, I, I mean, it's not that there's no flagships. But there's no Primeval Titan, there's no Delver Secrets, there's no Stoneforge Mystic. It's been a long time since we've seen a format like that where, you know, it was just a joke in, in Kamigawa. The, the, the format breaking card in Kamigawa was Gnarled Mass. And, you know, that's basically a true statement because the format was balanced on these other cards, right? Umazawa's right, Jedi. There, there were a couple different cards. Given, right? you, and you drop this 3-3 three, three for 3, it actually just tips the scales. Right. I mean, Hand of Cruelty was a card that, that, that broke that format for a while, right? Well, yeah. So, but, like, I mean, the reason that, that, that Gnarled Mass was, was, you know, format imbalancing was because there was already an equilibrium, right? There was an equilibrium around Hand of Cruelty, the various other 2-2... Two, two, Bushido creatures, um, uh, Umazawa's Jete, uh, and the, Gifts on Given. Naganada? Was that the... Manrique Gusari. Manrique Gusari, that was it. Um, and that what what happened was you just did this thing, which is like, you know, whatever, a horrible centaur non-healer, <laughs> but uh, if you give, if you give a, a green deck, in particular a green-blue permission deck, a significant uh, board play three turns early, they're not getting run over anymore. The opponent doesn't accumulate a million Jitte counters. You can trade with their guy, and then now you take over. They don't They don't step up, right? So right. they just play another 2-2. You trade your 2-2 or you stop them, and then now you play Now you play uh, an awesome legend creature on turns five and six. The, the reason they were winning before was that they were getting you down to ten by the time by the time you were in that spot, and then they would shoal you, they would alpha, they would do all these things. Right. Now you're, you're at like 16 instead of 10, 
and you know it doesn't <laughs> doesn't look so good for them when they when they want to throw away two cards to get to get four damage in. I, I feel like we'll be revisiting this discussion in forty card decks a little later on when someone posts a question about the speed of removal in Theros Limited. I mean, we'll I, come back I think to we're going to be probably positing this question. Uh, I don't know. Six ten years from now, I'm like, oh, do you remember that? <laughs> it's funny. Right, well, which is why I thought yeah. he was teasing us. <laughs> it's funny because I was actually purporting to to trick Jarrett. I mean, maybe I, <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes I have ideas and you know, trick Jarrett, the editor at, at uh, Daily MTG. I was like plotting out my next two years of columns in email. Can you imagine that? <laughs> two years of columns. I was. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, but yeah, I, I actually I get the feeling that. Um, that, that we'll be talking about this kind of topic sometime from now. All right. So, so Reed Duke, no, no, no bad matchups in any format, right? No, man. He's, <laughs> he's, he's pretty awesome. It, it, was, it was so funny. Um, I didn't know what to play in a, in a Legacy Open a few months ago. And um, I was, like, discussing different archetypes with Reed, and I'm like, well, what do you think about John? And this was just very briefly after... Josh Ravitz um, had top aided with Jund, and I think he got the list from Reed. And um, yeah, I, I ended up making I think top sixteen of the the open with Blue Red Delver, and which foolishly attached me to Blue Red Delver for several tournaments <laughs> that I did not do nearly as well. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, you know, Reed's discussing the the various merits of the different decks, and um, and I'm like, well, what do you think about Jund? You know, I think he was the I think he was the progenitor of the deck that. Uh, that, that Josh played. He's like, yeah, John's a good deck. Um, and he's, he's explaining to me, like, why you actually don't want four Bloodbraid Elves, because that, that seemed non, non-intuitive to me. And he's like, but the problem with this deck is it just doesn't have Jace the Mind Sculptor and Brainstorm. <laughs> I'm like, that's like, that's the problem with that? Because, yeah, like, you know, you really just want to be playing decks with, uh, <laughs> with Jace the Mind Sculptor and Brainstorm. So, um, so what he does is he just plays a Maverick deck. <laughs> Maverick, the lowest common denominator of decks, <laughs> and just adds Jace the Mind Sculptor and Brainstorm. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to the winner's circle. Yeah, he, uh, it was interesting, I was talking to, uh, when I was talking to Arya, I was asking him about how, how do you decide how many, you know, so many decks in Legacy? Yeah. And he's like, there really aren't. He's there's, like six. He's like, there's like actually, no, well, I mean, it's like, there's a ton of decks, yeah. but they just go into like three buckets. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's like, there's there's these wasteland days decks that go in this bucket, yeah. and there's these creature decks that go in this bucket, and you know, so like you just have to be able to fight the buckets. It's 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 so interesting. I had this discussion with Patrick Sullivan a few months ago at an, at a Star City Invitational, and he criticized me for something. I actually thought that the criticism was valid. By the way, like at least six beautiful women have walked by that Brian's made like googly eyes and raised eyebrows too but I keep talking so I can't mention but I just, just mentioned it just so um and he's like wait you always say uh Patrick being the speaker and me being the tar- target of you that you can't do this in legacy or only foolish people will do this in legacy blah 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 and um you know you, you have this sort of bar that, that you're holding legacy decks to but it's clearly not right and uh the reason is because some people for, for good or not, are playing these decks, which creates a metagame whereby certain interactions become viable or good, right? So I'm not the, I'm not the kind of person who would ever consider even remotely playing a, just a straight green-white Maverick deck in Legacy. It seems ludicrous to me <laughs> that given the options, you would do that. 
and one of my, my core pieces of evidence around this decision would be that any of the decks that I would actually consider playing would all slaughter Maverick decks. Like, whether they're, you know, whether they're like a blue-red tempo deck, a lockdown control deck, or a combo deck, all of those decks are going to slaughter, um, slaughter, uh, slaughter Maverick. Um, but then, you know, People just play decks sometimes, you know. It, I mean, Maverick has a good matchup against against Rugdolver, for example. Right. And that's one of the reasons why people can viably play it. And you know, if if you have a guy, a guy like Reed who is going to play, I never understood why people just didn't play Stoneforge Mystic in, in Maverick. They just didn't play it. <laughs> this is this just seems much better than all the cards you are playing. Isn't this just one of the best cards ever <laughs> yeah. printed? Yeah, so you know, it's just some jerk like Reed's going to go play Stoneforge Mystic in his Maverick deck alongside. Um, Jace the Mind Sculptor and Brainstorm, and it's a little bit different. Yeah, so there's things. So there's Storm Combo decks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the idea is it's just, hard there's just decks. like a, it's much narrower than it would appear from, you know, uh, you know, from a satellite view. Yeah. You know, or I should say from a from a from its rooftop view, it looks like there's a ton of decks. But if you go up to satellite view, you realize it's actually just three or four large masses. If you can of look, decks. Uh, you know, you can look at a deck like, um, like. Uh, Grixis Delver and Rug Delver, yeah. and like Grixis Delver is this isn't a literal literal truth, but it's more or less Rug Delver <laughs> minus Tarmogoyf plus Dark Confidant minus Nimble Mongoose plus Young Pyromancer, and like the rest of the deck is pretty but, much the same. By the, the way, same. that's actually very exciting to me. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's like I've played Rug Delver a couple of, it's, a couple of times, and it, I've actually I, I think. Uh, I played it quite well, and you know, I, I, I won every mirror match, and and it, you know, the shortcomings I've had were a combination of bad tiebreakers and card availability because I just played the deck that you know, yeah, like someone a, could give you that could give me, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I couldn't get this card, uh, whatever the pyroclasm people play that kills ground but not air. Sure, sure. Rough tumble. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. get that one. So I couldn't get that one, and then so I lost in the first round to Elves in a match where if I just had Rough Tumble, I would have won. Right, right. But I, instead, I had to Pyroclasm my own yeah, flying you know, Delver, yeah, yeah. and so he had like four turns to recover. Sure, I would have sure. just killed him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lost my shelf, and then like the then my uh, one of my other losses was like I played this deck and it had one Dismember in it, and I'm like, why do I have a Dismember? And like, I guess there's like this Flex slot, and. Um, that's just the card that got handed to me. <laughs> and, like, almost anything would have been better than this. I'm like, this just seems like a card I would never want to play. And I discussed it later with Chris Pakula, you know, who's a, a savant of Rug Delver. He's like, yeah, it could be, like, a Tarfire or a Sealfire, a bunch of stuff. But I ended up with this stupid Dismember, and I lost to a combo deck where it was game one, and the Dismember is my last card in hand. And if it's a burn card, he's dead. Not just because he's dead, but because I can get out of my hand and use, like, six more points with Tarmogoyf. Right? <laughs> And so I just have this stupid dismember in my hand, and he just like keeps blanking, and he's blanking. I'm like, oh my god, he's blanking, he's blanking, and I'm, please, why can't I kill you? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like brainstorm or, or something, and I'm like, please, just I need to get this out of my hand, and it's just like land, land, and I'm like, no. So like my losses were just to like this random dismember that I would never play again, and um. And then, as, and, and you know, I, I always maintain myself as a person who, who wasn't a rug delver player, but I would in a second play Grixis Delver. <laughs> it's the same deck, you know, and, and that, Mi- and minus that, Goyf plus you know plus Young Pyromancer. And that's why Karn Standard is a lot like Ravnica Champions. <laughs> There's nothing to do. <laughs> so next next up, a couple of people suggested this. Uh, Car- Carmen Barrasso is first question. He wanted to talk about Richie Incognito. I don't know if you don't follow- know what Richie. Have you not like- followed any of this? No, I don't know. What this so uh, Miami Dolphins are a football team. Okay. They have a 
player on the football team. Is he a villain, Richie Incognito? He is. Okay. He is. He is. But maybe not. It's like this. It's like this whole weird thing. So uh, this guy, I forget his first name. I think it's Jonathan Martin, is uh, offensive lineman on the Miami Dolphins. Young guy, uh, black as it turns out, uh, or biracial. Um, Brian, we're on Gay Street. Prep, prep school uh, background. His parents, both his parents went to Harvard. Uh, very smart, well-spoken, but apparently ambivalent about football, football player. <laughs> uh, his team... He's like the Gaddiel Slifer of football. No, well, not, not quite. Not quite. Uh, his team decides that they want him to toughen up. Yeah. And they have this guy, Richie Incognito, who's this white, apparently very blue-collar background. Yeah. Um, you know, leather neck, just this. But this giant, sounds like a, a Magic Johnson, Larry Bird situation. They're like, listen, just toughen this guy up. So he just hazes this kid yeah. for like a year and a half, <laughs> yeah. including these incredibly racist, homophobic, slap your mother in the face kind of voicemails and texts that eventually lead to Martin walking away from the team. Yeah. And getting like, they're like, well, you didn't show up. You're going to get suspended. And he's like, well,. I was harassed, and here's how I was harassed. So then, Incognito gets suspended. So, like, this whole team, the Dolphins, by the way, meanwhile, are just falling apart. But that's neither here nor there. But, like, and so what's happened now is there's this backlash where all the Dolphin players, including many of the, the black players, are like, well, Richie Incognito's not a racist. I know he used the N-word, yeah. but he's one of us. We acknowledge him. We've, we've welcomed him. He's an honorary black player. He's allowed to use that word. <laughs> right? Like, there's all this, like, crazy stuff going on. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's all stuff that doesn't really have a lot of application to magic players. Like, like the, the magic, al- you know, analogy. stupid analog- Carmen Barrasso asked this question, so you have to answer it. <laughs> yeah, stupid. Stupid uh, question. No, you I know mean, how the teacher I mean, says there's I no, love, no love, stupid <laughs> questions? I love st- talking about this topic. I mean, it's fascinating to me. I just, if you don't, if you don't have... You know, I have something sort of, to contribute. I can listen to you yeah, talk. I like you don't li- listening to you. Opinion about it, but um, yeah, it's just really interesting. Like, there's like all this kind of like flips on, um, you know, like social economic status between the two players. Yeah, the, it's a, it's, it's, a it's really Magic Johnson, Larry Bird yeah, situation, yeah, yeah. right? It's really, yeah, it's really complex, um, and I have no idea how it's going to play out. But ultimately, if I had a like resolve it, I would say fire the coach, fire the offensive line coach, and fire the general manager. But uh, and let the players play. All right, moving on. Uh, Ricardo Cabrera has a very intelligent question. On All that right, hand. got it. He wants to know about our success ratio and predicting which cards are going to be relevant after a set release. I thought he was also jabbing us. Like I was like, oh, nice jab, you know, like because yeah, we talk about that a lot. You know, I thought maybe he was just making fun of it, but he's like, no, I really actually. I mean, wanna... we get things wrong all the time. He's like, right? I really want to know. I test alone for PTs, and your insight on card evaluations helps. So, like, actually, you know, there's two cards. That, so, the last time we podcasted, we talked about the Commander set. And True Name Nemesis. True Name Nemesis. And, um, oh, I'm not going to remember the name. Toxic Deluge. Yeah, that one's... Both, both saw play on the weekend. I saw people playing Toxic Deluge in their vintage decks to kill Emrakul. They're so, like, Toxic Deluge, pay 15 life. <laughs> die, Emrakul, die. <laughs> die, Emrakul, die. Yeah. Um, and we saw we saw uh, Osip Lebedovich True Name Nemesis, in the true name finals, nemesis right? into the finals of the Legacy Championships. But there was an, it's a 
that was concurrent with an open last week, right? We haven't seen the new cards in in Star City events yet. I don't think. I don't. I don't think. Was there was there a legacy open or was there only a standard open? I thought there was a legacy. I only saw I only saw pictures of Benny Beatdowns winning the standard open. Um, I didn't see anything about the legacy when I was looking at results today. It's funny if you. But weeks, I could have missed it. A few weeks ago, when all these different devotion decks came out, you're like, "Well, you need to make a white deck." No, we don't. <laughs> we officially don't. No, it's no. there. Benny Beatdowns played a white deck. Oh, did, I haven't looked. At, I didn't. He look played at a white. We need white. We need deck. His only red card was Boros. Oh, Boros okay. Charm. Oh, but he didn't build a white devotion deck. He's not Nick Thosing. I mean, I don't. Into Evangel of I mean, Heliod and. How, how's he going to play his? Elspeth. How's he going to play his daring Skyjack on turn two if he's got a Nick Thos? <laughs> um, well, he could. Yeah, he makes he could colors. Actually. Good, good. Well, how's, no he gonna, com- how's he going to play no- his frontline medic on the third turn with the Nick Thos? <laughs> also could. All right. Well, um, how's he going to activate? Precinct captain is where it gets. How's he going to activate his beautiful? Captain? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so. he had a. You know how there's that card imposing sovereign? Yeah. You know how there's that other card, Orzorius Arrester. Yeah. You just think of Orzorius Arrester as the much crappier version of imposing sovereign. Benny Beatdown's played Orzorius Arrester. Do you know why? Why? He says it's too confusing of which one you should play first. <laughs> uh, imposing sovereign or precinct captain? So just play the precinct captain and then arrest them. <laughs> Kind yeah, of, but like it's confusing. Like, should you play the 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 the, the imposing sovereign soft. first, right, right? And then you play the then you play the the precinct captain, and sure. you didn't get in with the precinct captain now, so you're not gonna right, you're not right. gonna level the precinct captain as uh, uh, a What if they play a bigger guy? Did he play Spear of Heliod or anything? He like did. That? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he played Spear of Heliod. Um, yeah, sex is like straight white deck with uh, with um, Boros Charm, I think. Yeah. So, Chain to the Rocks is good. It kills gods. Yeah, Chain to the Rocks is really good. I, I, I really love, I've been, so just in terms of drafting, like all of the color hosers, the ones you previewed, yeah. I've been drafting those so highly right now. Like, I actually have gotten to the point where I'm almost ready to main deck Glare of Heresy. Like, everybody wants to be white so badly. Yeah? Yeah. And, like, I've, I've had drafts where I'm, like, red-white, and I have three different white opponents. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm, and like, I have two Glare of Heresies like, on my sideboard, like, and I just bring them in every game. Like red splash Glare of Heresy. <laughs> um, well, that's the other thing, though. Though if you do have, a, if you have like a green deck or a deck that has cable, like they're worth picking. But all of them are really good. Like all the side, all the all the color hoses. Talk about boards. infinite PTQs ago um, when Meriden first came out. I remember reading an art. This is actually, I, I made a conscious decision after this to not read anyone's limited reviews and allow them to. Uh, Influence how I played Magic anymore because right. everyone was so bad. So uh, I had the, my first PTQ deck it was the first week that Mirrodin was legal. I was lucky enough to have two Solemn Simulacrums, and I played a straight black red deck. I missed on the bubble to make top eight um, because I chose to play Terror in my sideboard. So I had two Terrors. They were both in my sideboard, and I lost twice on the day. And if I had had main deck Terror instead of whatever garbage card that was not as good as Terror in my deck in my main deck, I would have won. And the reason I didn't have Terror was because I read multiple articles, including one by Mark, that was about how this format, like, shatters better than Terror, and you probably, <laughs> probably just don't want to play your Terror's main because there's all artifacts and stuff. And I was just like, well, this seems like the opposite of everything I've ever believed my entire life. But I, I assume people know better than me. <laughs> it turns out that they didn't. <laughs> and if I just had those stupid Terrors, I would have killed the Molder Slug or whatever demolished me and, uh, and easily made top eight. Okay. Matt, Matt Forendo. Yeah. Wants to know yep. why? I said no Tyson Chandler's knee questions. I said no, we cannot talk about Tyson Chandler's knee on the podcast. Yeah, I feel so sorry for you. Uh, 
But anyway, that's the season. Yeah, well, maybe it's four to six weeks. We'll see. Come back. You're, you want to? You're playing. We can, win a lot of games we by can, Christmas. We can playoffs. We can still playoffs. That's fine. But anyway, so he says. Uh, he says, why? Uh, why is it that every time Andrea Bargnani <laughs> touches the ball, a homeless man kills a kitten? <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't really know what it means, but I believe it's to quiet the voices, is what he said. <laughs> did you see the video? And then someone else someone else suggested... What? Did you see the video I posted on Steve Satan's wall about uh, Toronto Raptors fans made this video about uh, about trying to unload on Trevor And it starts with, does your big man get too many rebounds? It's like, <laughs> this picture of Anderson Verichow. It's like... It's like <laughs> It's yeah. just so funny. Yeah, that's someone Zach, uh, Zach Sievers on Facebook asked about Barg's airball dunk, please. And I was like, look, he was too close to the basket. His optimal range is sitting on the bench. <laughs> Andrea Bonirani, interestingly enough. He's, shoot, he's actually shooting like 50% this season. Yeah, he's so just like a bad shooting guard, but he's seven foot tall. Yeah. <laughs> so like his, his his stats are worse than, than a pretty good shooting guard in every way. But he's seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a weird. He's a weird dude. You would expect him to play a little bit different game. He's a weird dude. Okay, so uh, I don't know. This is this is a limited question. I don't know how much you've been paying attention. I'll read the question and then you can answer it. Then. Uh, sure. It's uh, Vincent Gorman there. Vincent Gorman asks: Top eight games. Five with Flores. Your thoughts on the THS draft strategy yes. of super aggressive red white decks with low land counts like ten to fifteen lands. What are your thoughts? I think people aren't playing enough lands. I think they're yeah. they're they're fooling themselves. Like sometimes they're winning and they're not reporting their losses. <laughs> Isn't Gerard playing like twelve land decks? Sure. Or something? Yes. Yes. You can. Like here's the thing, right? Like you have a lot of scry cards when you play that deck, mm. and wouldn't you rather have a few extra lands and scry those away and hit your land drops? I have no opinion. Yeah. You're asking me. <laughs> I like. I, I can. I can certainly see the fourteen fifteen land. I think anything where you're. Going below fourteen or fifteen is getting into double dog dare territory. Well, I double dog dare you <laughs> yeah. to go eleven lands. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just like playing horse at some point. Like Gerard is sort of showing off for his stream. Like, um, you know, the, the red white deck is like wide open. You can always get it. It is made up of the garbagiest cards. Um, you know, and it's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun to play. Like, and you know, it just really pun- like all your cards are fall within a range of one to three mana, very rarely three mana. I mean, they're really all like one or two yeah. mana. So, like, you you just don't have any bad draws, and you never need, you really never need to hit a third land. A, a fourth land. I mean, except for when you're playing, like, like your Heliod. Or your, or your pre, no, your precinct, um, your Phalanx leader. That's the white, white, one, one heroic guy that when you target him, all your guys get plus one, plus one counters. He's really good. Um, and, like, I don't view him as... I rarely view him as a two-drop. He's really, like, a three-drop or four-drop because you want to play him. And, and do something. And be able to do something at instant speed. You want to, like, spark jolt him and make your team bigger or, you know, God's willing him or something like that. So, like, you really want, like... You re- optimally want three lands, and then you never want to see enough. Then you want to scry every land you see to the bottom of your deck. Fair enough. For, from that point on. I, I mean, I think it's an so awesome think deck. it's a playable strategy? I think it is a playable strategy. I've, I've certainly won... You know, I just think people are... I think, like I said, I think people are like, Hey, I can make this shot from the half-court line. You know? Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's just like J.R. Smith on a hot streak. I thought you like J.R. Smith. I do. I do. But I like J.R. Smith a lot more when he's taking reasonable shots and passing the ball. You know, which he was doing... You know, like the back half of last season until he stopped doing that in the playoffs. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, like I said, I, I think, I think it's pretty reasonable. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great fallback deck. Like you can be like, okay, I'm going to draft, you know, you just like, you, you make your first pick, you pick a Heliod you, or you pick a Spear of Heliod or something. Well, does the Spear slash the Heliod make your deck? Yeah, you know, the Spear, the deck? Spear Heliod probably doesn't make your deck. In two, two mana and Two mana. I guess certainly if you're going to play 15 lands or 14 lands or 11 we're talking lands. About 12 lands. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're talking about 12 lands, like I, I haven't, I haven't done the math, but like what are no the odds you'll ever see? Because it's not reasonable. <laughs> You know, um, I mean, it's 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 a fun deck. Like, like cards like a Crone Crusader, which just go around the table. Like, just crappy one drops. Like the the red guy that disenchants for four mana. But he's like a one one for for R. Like that guy's like perfectly fine. You're like, I will give him Titan Strength, and he attacks for four. <laughs> Scry away this land, <laughs> yay! <laughs> Traveling philosopher loves that deck. You know, Grizzly like, Bear, huh? Grizzly Bear, yeah. Yeah, the bullshit artist. So I really, I really like the deck a lot. Uh, Marshall Sutcliffe has some some questions. Yeah, uh, long time listener, first time caller, Marshall Sutcliffe. Uh, so he wants to know about Gray Merchant being overrated in limited. Uh, in limited, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he wants to know about how to pronounce Duran. It's Duran, right? Yeah, I guess I've said it wrong. I like just like I become like. Samantha's mother on Bewitched. I just say it. Darren, I just yeah. say like Darren or Dagwood or Durward. I always thought it was Duran. I call him Durward. You the know. TV announcers call him Darren a lot. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, not Stephen A. Smith, but my friend, <laughs> my friend Duran. <laughs> I cannot stand Stephen A. Smith. He's my least favorite commentator. Yeah. You watch it. You ever watch First Take? Sometimes, yeah. It'll be like sometimes we'll be playing in a bar or whatever. Yeah, like go to lunch there or something. Yeah, yeah. So. I never noticed it before you mentioned it. To yeah, me. is Carrie Champion attractive though? She's the moderator. Uh, is she? Yeah, I never noticed. It's really? Her, and then she's she's stunning. Uh, she's a Lakers fan though, so the Lakers are like one of the greatest sports franchises ever. You yeah. can't really decry them of that. I can't. Sure. Uh, he wants to know what will topple topple Esper. In what context? I don't know. Is Esper in standard? Yeah, I guess so. I don't Is know. Esper dominant in standard? Black red aggro. <laughs> Mono blue devotion. Mono blue devotion has been running circles around Esper, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> like I think I think the most surprising thing to me is that Mono blue Mono blue devotion continues to put up top eights. Right. Not because there's anything wrong with it, just because it's so eminently beatable. Its key cards are all like. Beat me. I cost a lot of mana, and I'm not that powerful, you know. Right. Like, you know, you can doom blade a master of waves. Have we? Have we? Have we talked about? Have we done a podcast? By the way, going back to the other comment about predict, about the uh, Raphael Levy's modern deck. Remember, we were talking the last podcast. I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a maybe Wait, a modern Matt. deck. Hey, how hey. are you? How are you? What's going on? Not much. How you been? I've been really good. Yeah, I heard you? your voice. I was like, <laughs> How you been? I've been great. I've yeah. been great. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm doing a podcast right now. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, sorry about that. You say you say email. Say email. All right, I'll send you an email yeah, tonight. Take it easy. Say hi to uh, I will. I will. Who's that? Uh, he was a former like uh, executive vice president of Tops and former president of WizKids. Oh yeah. Yeah. Long time listener. <laughs> I'm calling. <laughs> That was actually, he heard my voice apparently from a block away and recognized it. Apparently so, my new office, a little you, can, loud. you can hear everything through the door, which yeah. is embarrassing considering how I, how I behave in my office. 
Um, anyway, uh, Mono Blue DeVos. Oh, yeah, the, Raphael the, Levy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, he didn't the, make top eight. He didn't make top eight, but I mean, it seemed seemed pretty sweet. Basically, like, what you were talking about. Yeah, the Kira, the Kira, Kira Gray class winner yeah. is a big deal. Like just because of what you're talking about about how fragile the the Mono Blue Devotion deck is. Yep. Uh, Kira is just awesome in that deck, um, right? And especially if you have Aether Vile. Yeah, like yeah, uh, I will Aether Vile my. Yeah, my Kira in. I'll untap. I'll Ether Vial my Master of Waves in. GL. You know. And they just they just vapor snag. Their spell is vapor snag. <laughs> <laughs> like spreading seas and vapor snag. Yeah. I could not sign up faster. I think if you look, at, I think if you look at the daily, if you haven't seen the deck, and if you look at the daily decks yeah. on Daily MTG that like Luis the column that Luis Scott Vargas uh, currently curates. Uh, You'll, he did a he did a piece about the deck. It's it's pretty cool. I think it's I think it's a fun deck. It's gonna be interesting to see when modern PTQ season comes around, which is also something we need to talk about more because I got a lot of positive feedback from our last podcast about that like PTQ like it's not really positive feedback so much people like yes please do this please I would like it um, I'm really can you help me with this please yes yeah. So we're we're gonna have to do this. I've already talked to Steve. Steve's in. Well, I thought we would start today. No, it's not, it's not PT. Like we're gonna we're, we can start we're gonna tips. We're man. gonna start talking before the, Just the tip. We'll talk before Just the, the tips. We can start with the next podcast, but we'll start talking about modern and start like getting people thinking about that. Maybe even like this is probably a pretty good time to start building your modern collection. Like like if you're thinking about PTQing and you want to be like, uh, I'm reasonably certain the next PTQ season is modern constructed. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to check. Because there, it's weird, right? Like yeah, all the weird. Grand Prix right now are all different constructed yeah. formats, and the PTQ season's all limited right now. Yeah. So it'll be a constructed format. <laughs> I know that. Um, this is interesting. Like J- Jason Barnett asks, uh, "What do you think would make modern a more popular format?" I feel like modern's pretty popular. What does it mean, a popular? Format? I don't know. I don't know. That's like, actually a strange question. It's a strange question. Like legacy, right? I mean, obviously there was the sort of like controversial statements by Pete Huffling about, like, we're not going to do modern opens or limited team limited opens. We're only going to do legacy opens, you know, on Sunday. Yeah. Um, which kind of, like, I think is more to is more to the point about, like, the devotion of the legacy so community, I, which really wants that. I, I disagree. Okay, I, I have a very specific take on this. Well, it's also he wants to buy and sell legacy cards. Used to be... <laughs> used to be that there were three kinds of legacy players, right? Right. <clears throat> this is not my definition, but a player who's a pretty broad-minded, well-respected player in the community So there's three kinds of legacy players, okay? Two kinds of legacy players are awesome. One kind of legacy players is stone assholes, and you would never want to be friends with them, okay? <laughs> so there's guys who have been playing for a long time, and they've got cards, and there's something they can make a legacy deck or whatever. That's one. And they just they want to play, right? Like, they come and they, here's an event near them, they want to play. Other ones are regular tournament players who, legacy happens to be the format, so they play legacy that day. That would be, like, probably us if we were playing legacy, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third kind is the legacy community. <laughs> Do you remember when Steve won the Legacy Grand Prix? And, like, going into the Legacy Grand Prix, we were like, the, the so-called community has no clue about this format, right? They just talk about these decks that don't make any sense if if, uh, if people outside their community ever want to come play in it. These, none of these things make any sense. They're just like, they're, they're using, they're using their, their, 
what's it, is it ancient tomb to tattoo? Yeah, they're using their ancient tombs to cast exalted angels, right? Like, like they're they're. This sounds is, pretty good to me, but <laughs> I mean the. <laughs> The top eight was just turn two kill decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, insane well, turn two well, kill decks. it was interesting, like, right? Like, people knew about the combo, but they knew about the sort of, like, the, a, a wrong combo or, or didn't have the efficient, like, kind of, like, pro-tour-tuned combo. Yeah, but, but the thing... I think that the, the barrier of, the, of what was going on was that the so-called community at the time was, was so, like adamant that they knew their format so well that outsiders could not possibly sure. come in and imbalance this thing that they curated all the time. So there's a huge amount of investment in it, sure, sure. which is understandable, but it gets to be not friendly when they're like, oh no, this is our this is our thing. Right, you're, these are our deck names, yeah, this is our... You're an interloper. Sure. This is how you play a reset deck, you know, whatever it is. Right, right. And like... Can we call this podcast in which Mike pisses off the legacy community? But that's not the legacy community today. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So, but that was legacy community back then, right? Right. But what happened over time, well, I mean, obviously, Pete just invented this thing that made Wastelands worth $60 all of a sudden from being nothing, right? Right, right. And Candelabra of Tano's for the first time ever, like a $200 card or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, the, the band and restricted list had something to do with that. Whatever it is, okay? I mean, he's obviously the one who's profiting yeah, yeah, the most from yeah, this. Yeah, oh, sure. But... In doing so, he's also cultivated this format that people have a lot of fun playing, okay? Right. And, you know, I, I like Legacy. I like it a lot. I mean, I, I play it a lot now relative to... Back then, we played it, like, once a year or Right, something. right, right. Um, Busted out your Kurt Apes. Yeah, you know, like, it's <laughs> it's a different story than, than, than it was back then. And... Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think that 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 notion of that legacy community exists in the same way today. Because sure. because today, like, think about name a notable legacy player of today. You're just going to say like Reed Duke, right? <laughs> you want a bunch of legacy opens, or sure. like, or like these guys from <laughs> Huey Jensen. <laughs> Huey Jensen. Okay, look, Todd Anderson. Right. And Josh McLean. It's yeah, irrelevant whatever. that they're... I mean, the only one that's really just like, oh, I, I only play old cards is Chris Pakula. <laughs> Chris Pakula really only plays Notable, old notable legacy player. Notable legacy and vintage player, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chris is like... But he was... Chris was actually never a member of the legacy community. Sure. He was more a member of the vintage community right. back then, right? Right, right, right? So I don't think that this community as, as such exists anymore because there's this mainstream legacy thing, right? So, I mean, whatever. If I'm pissing off the 2006 legacy community, I think that by now they've realized that they were wrong. The guy that wore that silly hat is going to be really mad at you. <laughs> no, I mean, like, haven't they had to figure out, like, after Billy uh, Billy Moreno's deck that they must have been wrong? Sure. Right? Like, it's, it's, like, magic is this great thing where we have events and, you know, facts display themselves. Yeah. The The... The, the community as it stood and the, the principles that, that they were saying, well, this is our, our closed-off, walled-off community, we're doing these things, is, right. that's not what ended up so, performing in those so tournaments. To point to that, I guess, going back to the original question of the mo- making modern more popular, I guess sort of modern, making more modern more popular is really a matter of time, right? Like, in terms of developing a modern community, in terms of developing, like, people who have their, their sort of pet decks... And they're, you know, you know, because cards don't rotate out of modern, right? Modern is, by definition, the modern, card, the, the modern card frame. So, I, I, so modern sort of becomes a bigger and bigger card pool with 
uh, more and more options and more and more decks that are viable. I actually don't agree with this. I don't think that there will ever. I think you don't think there'll be a modern community. I don't think so, and this is this is my reason why. The legacy community from that I'm referencing, or the vintage community, was concurrent with that, right? So there was a vintage community, a legacy community. I remember in in preparation for Legacy Grand Prix Trials, Legacy Grand Prix, both I and Stephen Menendian had separately started writing articles about Legacy and our explorations of Legacy. And the criticism from some readers was like, you can't necessarily take a notable standard writer like me or a notable vintage writer like Stephen Menendian and then just have them work on Legacy and then necessarily that their, their ideas are credible relative to and Legacy. One, and one of you is pedantic. Which one? <laughs> the... the uh, and 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 have it have it be the case that the uh, that they're going to be credible in legacy, um, and I think that there might be some there might be some some juice to that, uh, but obviously that was informed from this this notion of you know them, them having a close community. If you look at modern, modern is inherently a tournament format that is played basically around PTQ seasons, pro tours, etc. You don't have a community that's spontaneously playing modern. It's not like standard, which is just the standard, or like commander, which is a a format where people just want to play and have fun together. So I I would argue that of all the formats that have occupied this space in the game, this sort of like middle ground between eternal and standard, that it is the most successful of those formats. Oh, I disagree. I think legacy is much more successful. No, no, no. Legacy is an eternal format. I'm oh, I'm the, sorry. I'm talking about I'm, the middle ground between, like, from from the point where legacy ends and standard begins, right? You know, there's this middle ground with all these cards. It's just extended and modern, right? Well, extended, <laughs> modern, new, extended, like, you know, the, you know, double standard or whatever they call that format. I'm just saying that this is this is certainly the most popular and the one and and is something that's played at the FNM level where those other formats really weren't, and is played and is like. There's a lot of sanction to people sanction these events, and I, I, I actually I disagree with you strongly. I, I actually see uh, a modern community and modern like a, a real kind of like ongoing dialogue about modern developing, especially as people just again become attached to their cards that they own. One no secret. What I've never played a modern tournament event, <laughs> never once. This is, this is why you're so dismissive of it. I'm you have no dismiss- attachment to it. I'm not it. dismissive of it. I, 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 actually, I like- my, my reaction, I actually don't think it's a very good format, personally. Okay. I don't like it. Really? Like, yeah. What don't you like about it? The bannings or the... I think the bannings are repressive. I See, I, I really, I really enjoy the idea that cards get banned and unbanned in the format. I think that would be interesting. I, 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 but that's what happens. I talked to no, 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 not strategically. They just sure. keep cutting away. Okay. No, no, they yeah, they, they they brought they let they let uh, Valakit come back, for example. You know, I mean, they they, they bring cards in and out. I think that I mean, I'd like to see at, them do it a little more. Not at the same scale. I'd like to see them do it on a bigger scale. I mean, is Blood Raid Elf an impressive card? And like, I don't. I mean, I'm sorry. In in modern, I don't think it was. I think that and you, maybe you'll see it come back. Jundish decks were just winning a lot. Sure. And so I mean, it was it was it was pretty. I like. Honestly, the the card that you probably wanted to ban there was Thoughtseize, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, like, <laughs> I think it, it's a tough argument to say that Bloodbraid Elf was more oppressive in Legacy than Thoughtseize. No, <laughs> Birthing Pod, or for that matter, Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker. Right. I mean, Kiki Jiki Mirror fine. Breaker. I'd, I'd actually be fine seeing both of those cards go. It's just it, banning Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker is is ridiculous. 
Are you going to ban Malira too? I mean, like these cards aren't—they're not ban worthy. Sure. It's that they just want to sculpt this format a certain way. I think that they should unban cards like Preordain. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm fine with them doing different stuff I, all the time. I think. I, I think I tend to hate the. I hate the formats personally, where. I feel like somebody's just coming in and making tweaks that make the world worse or make the world dumber. And the, like, banning cards like Preordain and Ponder because they reward players who will play them well is... No, 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 that's not why they're banned. They're banned because in that card pool, there were just, there were too many of them. They were just like, and they, and they, and they made the storm strategy just so like it didn't even win yeah I guess but it was just it was just too uh, John figured out how to play without those cards I yeah. mean just like but then that but that's fine to me that's fine I mean you can he had some help yeah <laughs> it's fine if you're you're going outside of the box and have to get it was, it was just too like it was just like too many like dysfunctional reprints uh, I mean I I'm not I don't mean to be dismissive but I think I don't know. I, 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 see, I honestly see the format as, as people like, you know, again, you have your, you know, there's, there's only so many dual lands out there. Is there a consistent anti-pod strategy? Is Affinity the anti-pod strategy? I mean, yeah, I mean, like? it's certainly pretty good. I mean, there's there's cards like Torpor Orb. There's, you know, there's, there are That's cards. That's hard. I mean, like, I know, I know. There are cards. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, uh, w- certainly something we're going to examine if Modern's the next PTQ format. What if but, I play Death and Taxes in Modern? You know, the format with all Jun decks and combo decks. <laughs> white weenie yeah. is my weapon of choice. So, uh, speaking of white, Victor Puente uh, wants to know, why aren't more people using the mana from Nykthos to fuel Sphinx's revelation? Well, I mean, just at Grand Prix Santiago, there was a variation on Mono Blue Devotion Yeah, that uh, played four... Uh, what's the Oracle? Uh, the one... Uh, one in a blue for an O3 scry. Oh, Omen Speaker. Yeah, there's played Omen Speaker, cut all the Cloudfin Raptors, and interestingly cut Judges Familiar, which is a white creature, yeah. to play a blue-white version with um, Detention Sphere. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, played most of the other blue cards, so it still played the uh, Night Vale Spectre, uh, Jace, Jace Architect of Thought, um, and so on. You could you play the Aetherling out of the sideboard. It was basically the Mono Blue Devotion deck cutting the fast beatdown creatures, playing more Jaces, and then touching for Sphinx's Revelation and Supreme Verdict. So, you know, it, oh, interesting. it was interesting. Like, it actually was a fully a control deck and, and he had, did weirdly he have, did he have, fully the creature deck. But he had Nyctos in there? Yeah. <laughs> I love this deck. Yeah. So he had, like, three Nyctos main. <laughs> oh, so he slowed his deck. To, it's actually, like... It's almost like the kind of way that I would solve the problem. Like I, 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 I look at him like that's like what that's that's the stuff I do, you know, where where you take uh, this, this interesting angle. And do you, do you see more people following in that deck's footsteps from the event? I mean, is that a deck? That, I don't know it's just last weekend. But I'm saying see. is that a, what I'm saying is that a deck you think is worth exploring? Um, I think it must be. I think that people are not I mean, doing I'm, powerful I'm enough probably things. Probably be their playing it as two man cues tonight. Now, yeah. I, <laughs> it sounds. It's, you know. It's, uh, I remember Jerry Thompson saying, but what if you wanted to play Sphinx's Revelation where X equals 100? <laughs> but he made a white deck, you know, but yeah, this is yeah. a blue deck. It's really yeah. just the mono blue to blue. Well, it goes back. People were talking about the white, white deck earlier. Okay, that's interesting. Um, 
This is, I think, here's an interesting question, which I think also we're going to go back to Santiago for our answer. He's like, what type of cards would need to be in the next set to make tempo-style decks viable and standard again? Aren't I mean, they isn't, highly viable? Isn't the Rakdos deck a tempo deck? I think, of, isn't Green-White Aggro a tempo deck? It has God's Willing and Boon Seder. <laughs> <laughs> just like the well, isn't, that, isn't that a mood, isn't that a mid range deck? I don't know. That's a tempo. I, I don't know what. Well, the, what's a tempo deck then? I, I mean, guess I think my guess is when all talking, decks have tempo. My guess is when you're talking about a tempo deck, you're talking about cards like Vapor Snag. All right, so so they would need to reprint Vapor Snag. Right, so let's step back. I say to you, tempo deck. What archetype do you think? Of? I think of uh, I think of like the Delver decks. You think of Delver? Yeah. I, I mean, I go to like Forgotten Orb, Mana War, Necker's Hall decks. Sure. Those are like the classic tempo. Sure. Deck, right? Black Ice or whatever that was called. Yeah, Forgotten Orb, Black yeah. Ice. Well, I mean, not not Black Ice. Black Ice was straight black, so it didn't have. Uh, oh no! What was the what was the black blue deck though? There was a black Forgotten blue, Orb. Oh, that was Forgotten Orb, and it was like yeah, Mana War, and you'd undo, and you had yeah. Fallen Ascari, and yeah, me- Memory Lapse. Memory Lapse. Yeah. Forgotten, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it said like. You go like, uh, they they you go like, fall on Scari in for four. You know they play their Burnham thing, and then you're like memory lapse, and then like then you man, mana war, mana war, mana war uh, winter orb, and then hopefully two 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 take them out from there. <laughs> Decks are zipper, back. but you like you play like a undiscovered paradise. So you have like undiscovered paradise, and then like you could replay a land. It was... I mean, I think I think cards like Voyages End are, are close to. Like, I think Voyager's End is playable. I'm just asking you what you think of a I, tempo I think deck. A temp- I think of a tempo deck is, again, something that's coming out with cheap threats yep. and backing that up with this disruption of a little bit of counter magic, sometimes like mana dependent counter magic, like a Force Spike or a Stymied Hopes or whatever that would be, would and you, then and then bounce. Would you think of blue green madness in this category? Yes, I think a blue green that blue green madness is definitely a tempo deck. Would you think you like just want your opponent back on their heels and they're like playing like they're looking to stick one answer, one like one turn. Like when you were talking about the Nargmas earlier, how the Nargmas would buy you so many turns. Yeah. Like they're looking to they're just looking to land that something. That guy was temporal mastery. <laughs> they're just looking to land something that's going to let them what dig about, their heels in and get back into the game. But what about blue green? Threshold? Would you say that's a tempo? Also, deck? yeah. Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about? Well, especially remember when we played with Centaur Chieftain. Uh, what about Miracle Grow? I think Miracle Grow more than either of those decks. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, are there decks like that in standard today? I mean, I think the, I, I kind of see the Rectus deck being a little bit like Magus's Marauders is, is kind of a sick little card. I was actually thinking of a different one. Like, what if you had a deck that was like. I mean, I also I also kind of see the blue the, the the blue devotion decks being a little bit that They're way tempo. as well. So what about what about the bug deck, right? With like Bove Nylea and what's the what's the Urnum Jin with black? What's his name? Oh, that guy, Keeper of the Wilds. Yeah, like you know the deck. You, you know the deck, yeah. Keeper of the Wilds, a Bove Bove Nylea. Dissolve. <laughs> no, you know, you know the second. No. You know, I saw, I saw, I saw a picture of this deck online yeah. yesterday, and I was like, oh, that deck looks like a deck I would play. It's, it's an okay. I mean, the deck is from an era from before, um, from before Mono Blue Devotion, right? right so right. it's, I mean, it's weird. We're talking about eras before Mono Blue Devotion. <laughs> the format is five weeks old, but. <laughs> But I mean, I, th- what about the fanatic of Mogus mono red deck? To me, that's the tempoiest deck, right? You push, 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 finish. It's, yeah. um, 
I actually, I, the reason I just don't kind of don't understand the question. Well, I mean, I feel I, like all decks have tempo in a sense. Right? Sure, but I mean, I think when I think of a tempo deck, I, I do think people are thinking about like recently thinking about standard decks with think Delver, Delver Vapor yeah, Snag yeah. type decks. And I think, I think to some extent, I think it's a slower tempo deck, but I, I certainly think the Mono Blue Devotion deck is a tempo deck. I, I think, I honestly think, like, it's again a slower tempo. I think Demons and Dragons is very much a tempo deck. Demons, the black red deck? The red black deck, which is just like, okay, I've got a Desecration Demon and a Doomblade and a Hero's Demise. I mean, it's it's a grindy, attrition deck, but it's also, yeah, but it's not. It's Tempo sort of implies a certain clock within the first one or two turns of the game. In the, the, so let's, let's define what that is. The Lost podcast from four weeks ago or whatever, mm-hmm. I remember I dismissed... You're calling it Demons and Dragons. I call it, like, red-black control. <laughs> um, but actually, I think if I were playing, I, I'd probably the deck I would play. I like that deck a lot. Yeah, I, I do, too. I really like that deck. Um, Rakdos Rek- Kirin's such a high performer against other mid-range It's just not decks. a, you know, it's just not a sexy deck to play. It's just, like, workmanlike. It's just... I mean, I, I was testing a version of that deck a few weeks ago where, after sideboarding, I was playing against another, like, you know, Mono Black or Orzov or... I, I call it Big Daga, Big Daga type deck. And my board position was, like... Read the Bones in hand, two Underworld Connections, and Chandra in play. <laughs> All my cards did the same thing. It's just like draw, 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 love, kill, draw, 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 kill. I love you know? Underworld Connections. But Underworld Connections and Chandra together, like, it's the same, you know? They like, <laughs> do the same, but this one damages me and that one damages you. Yeah. And it's just so... It, it, doesn't that seem cool to you? It's like, your opponent's just like, oh, make Demon Dragon. You're just like, heroes downfall that guy. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah, I like I like that deck a lot. I I, I was uh, it was interesting talking when I did the the deck tech on the deck from the Pro Tour. The guy was just like, yeah, I don't like this deck. I'm seven and one. I'm gonna top sixteen this Pro Tour. Whatever. How do you not like that deck? Like, the, <laughs> probably not his style, right? I mean, with the, the team deck. White on on Stormbreath Dragon is so relevant. Yeah. Like you have to play Mizium Mortars in so many of these decks. It's like if you if that guy comes out against Benny Beatdown's deck that he won with, he has one Mizium Mortars in his sideboard to do a Stormbreath Dragon. <laughs> like. God forbid your opponent draws two Stormbreath Dragons. You're just cold? Right. Right? <laughs> it's... And, you know, the whole matter of a Desecration Demon, which is a pain in the ass to deal with. 6-6 six, six for 4 flying? Yeah. Kill a guy every turn if you want to slow him down and make him bigger. You know. Yeah, against a deck that's full of point removal? <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, kill a guy. I'm like, sure. <laughs> um, Brian Wong of Limited Resources, the other half of the, the Marshall... Uh, duo Unlimited Resources now want to know and this is going to direct at you because I haven't listened to, I don't think I've listened to this album Liz Fair self-titled album yeah Liz Fair Liz Fair underrated overrated or properly rated I don't know what the common rating <laughs> is but I have two stories around that Liz Fair Liz Fair comes out I want to say 2005 so there was so what's, what's, what songs are on that um, Why Can't I is the big radio hit okay Why Can't yeah, I can't sing. Yeah, why yeah, can't yeah. I sing? Why were, can't I sing? There were two songs <laughs> on it, so um, why can't I was one of them, and I the other one escapes me. Uh, okay. That's not that's not HWC, right? That's not the album with HWC. Give me your hot white cum. Yeah. Yes, that is the album. Oh, I like that album a lot, actually. Right. So uh, I'll, 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 I think that album's underrated. So my my vote is underrated. So I'm telling you two stories. Okay. I don't know what the actual rating is. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, 
It's substantially worse than Somebody's Miracle, which was the next album that came out after that. Okay. Although, I don't know Which what I don't love. As you much. don't like Somebody's Miracle? I, I don't love it. Have you listened to Bollywood? I'll listen to it again. Bollywood's very uh, I'll bad. listen to it again tonight. No, no, Bollywood's the one While that, I'm playing the bug won't. deck. Okay, so <laughs> I actually really like Somebody's Miracle. Yeah. I like it substantially more than... than um, than uh, than Let's Fair, Let's Fair. Right. I think that it's substantially worse than uh, than uh, than Somebody's Miracle. I mean, it's obviously doesn't hold a candle to Exile and Guide, though. Right. Nothing. No. I, I, also, I mean, I think that's. I think that might be one of the top ten or fifteen albums of all time. It's. I believe it's rated by Rolling Stone as the ninth or tenth best album of all time. So. Yeah, my list and Rolling Stone's list are wide, wildly I, divergent. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, if for the most you, you don't oh, want wow. my list of the top ten <laughs> albums of all time. For a while, I had Belinda Carlisle's "Runaway Horses" rated at number uh, one. Go jump in a go jump in a sewer. Number one. <laughs> Sorry. You and I on "Runaway Horses." Ooh, ooh, baby. <laughs> Hold on tight. Anyway, um, uh, so I go to the Barnes and Noble in Union Square and purchase. Remember when people bought music in a store? Yeah. <laughs> so I purchased this, and in my CD player, <laughs> to date myself, I pop out I, the 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 CD in the CD player is Fiona Apple's uh, uh, Fiona Apple's uh, "When the Pawn," right? Yeah. Which is actually one of the top. Yeah, just five fa- fa- fantastic album. So I'm looking at this album, and then I'm looking at the Lister album <laughs> that I just bought, and I say to my and the listeners, just so you understand. Especially at this time, this was eight years ago that this album came out. I I, I still revere Liz Fair as a, as a member of the Pantheon, but I really revered Liz Fair like in the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. I mean, like you know, really an unbridled amount of respect for her. And Liz Fair, Liz Fair came out so long after we've been waiting and waiting. His White Chocolate Space Side came out in nineteen ninety nine, nineteen ninety eight. I want to say, uh, and maybe before that, it was I, out when I, I moved my, to New York. I took my wife to see a live taping of a PBS special Liz Fair did for that. I'm trying to remember what year that was. So, this was an album many years in the making that I had such great anticipation for, you know. Uh, I, I rate Exile and Guy one of the greatest albums of all time. I rate White Chocolate Space Egg only a little bit behind it, honestly. Although, I, sub- I like it substantially more than Whip Smart. I don't... Whip Smart, like, they gave her this big contract because she did so sure. well with... with uh, with uh, exile. with exile and and you know I, I think she didn't step up. To, I only like two or three songs in total from Whip sure. Smart, uh, but I thought that White Chocolate Space Egg was a good was a good recovery. But a small album again. How many how many songs do you need to like on an album for it to be a great album? I mean, two or three two, two or three songs on an album is is a pretty like is to a pretty be good a batting great average. album. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, Tuna, you know, my dear, dearly departed friend Tuna said he didn't like the structure of albums at all in the modern era. He thought they were too restrictive as a thought. Right and. And I, that's something I, I, I've wrestled with personally. Like, you think of something like "When the Pawn," where every single track is fantastic, or, or, or something like. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about Katy Perry, but you know, as a, a girl pop star, she puts out consistently a high level of work. You know, I'm not, I'm not comparing her maybe to the to, sure. to your tastes, but she'll put out six number one hits on an album. Sure, sure. How, how many? I, I, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I wonder how many of our listeners actually even understand the experience of listening to an album. An album through? Like, yeah, well, like, like you know, like, if I, I have songs from, you know, growing up, and then, you know, if I hear, like, a, a Violent Femme song off of the yeah. first al- their first album, or I hear a song off of My Aim is True by Elvis Costello, or any song off of any Replacements album, I immediately, my brain 
grooves into the next song. Me too. Right? You know what I mean? Like, I hear that next song, and I'm upset. Like, when I'm not, you I, know, I, I find myself like, going, oh, wait a minute, why am I listening to this song random? I need to go listen to that whole album I think now. I actually, I've just revised, just in the course of the last 30 seconds, I've revised my position. There are still great albums. Yeah. The first three albums that were released by The Strokes are, all three albums are A+. They're yeah. all fantastic, top to bottom. I, haven't listened, I have not listened to enough Strokes. I've listened They're to a lot so of White good. Stripes, but not enough to Strokes. Uh, and, you know, like, First Killers albums, at least there's, you know, half a dozen really good songs. And there are many albums that I just... I can think of and I, I'll listen to them top to bottom and, and that was from an era I guess when people cared about putting albums together instead of just putting singles together anyway I buy this freaking Liz Fair album <laughs> it's 2005 or whenever and I'm thinking to myself what are the chances that the thing I'm about to put in my CD player is better than the one that I'm about to take out it turns out it was not as good yeah. but there are more than you know more than a couple listen toable songs but the thing that was different about Liz Fair, Liz Fair was that it was so produced and the, Liz Fair's early work was so intimate. She would always play only small venues. Right. And she was pathologically afraid of, of performing live. And so she, that's why she always played small venues. And then for Liz Fair, Liz Fair, they, they got the Matrix to do production for her. She, had, she did big venues. And I went, to, to the, I went to the concert series and the concert series was unbelievable. Who's the woman from The Riches, uh, Circle of Friends? Um, she's a really famous actress. Dark hair. Uh, like, follow curly... You'd know who she was. Anyway, she, she performed... But the Cardigans and Liz, her, the Cardigans and Liz Fair all, all played on the same ticket, along with this woman who's V really likes. I can't remember, but he actually knew who she was. <laughs> uh, but the Cardigans album that was being promoted was Long Gone Before Daylight, which is one of... Pro- it's probably my... I would say maybe my second favorite album of all time. It's an unbelievable... Behind Belinda Carlisle? No. <laughs> I've revised my are you, are you a big fan of the Cardigans or no? I like the Cardigans. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan, but I've never, I've never really, like, so, taken that dive so in. You think that... You, most people, I think, would generally think of the Cardigans as Europop, right? So, like, Love Fool is their quintessential song. Sure. So Europe, but they did this album long gone before Daylight... That's nothing like any of the rest of their songs. It's like almost like folk ballady, and it's unbelievably good. Like uh, my wife is not into the kind of music that that I listen to. She says that one of the things that's the worst part of our relationship is that your music, my that I <laughs> that I mean, she Belinda Carlisle she albums. Le- she left and right. She's like. You're a pussy, and you make me a pussy without the stupid music you listen to. Like, can we? Listen? I have to listen to Eternal Flame one more time. I'm gonna kill you. That's the Bangles. <laughs> that is the Bangles, Brian David Marshall. Anyway, she's like, can we listen to right, the true boss? Or false, true can we or listen false. to Bruce Springsteen? True or false? You've listened to Eternal Flame somewhere in the last five years. Of course, I'm more than. I probably listened to Eternal Flame in the last month. <laughs> That's not the point of this. Of this. So. Me and my wife are road tripping, okay? Yeah. And um, she, we're listening to uh, Long Gone Before Daylight, and she says, you know what? When we have kids, this predates my having children, yeah. I hope that they have good enough taste in music that they will like this. That was actually her bar. And that, like, the album is... And she hates how the music that I listen to. This album is spectacular. So these first three or four acts play, and then the cardigans play, and they tear it down. They are so good, okay? And their album is so good, and they play all the stuff that I love from their their old oeuvre, and they played all the songs that are awesome from Long Gone Before Daylight. And then, uh, I was I was actually with Marianne Pillsbury that oh, night. I look at her, and I go, should we just leave? 
<laughs> Liz hasn't played yet. <laughs> Should we just leave? And um, so Liz plays, and she's, like, super produced. But half the songs she plays, she just turns the production off and sings the old songs. And she really can't sing. Um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, when she does her radio stuff from the new album, all, like, the electronics is making her, making this up. And then when she just, like, says, oh, I want to sing one of the old favorites or whatever, she's just, like, she's not geared to play a big venue without, you know, all this About production. Without a wall of sound behind her? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, it, I don't mean to be, like... Oh, she's awful. She's she's one of the greatest singer songwriters of all time. But she can't sing in that way. Like her delivery sure. is not is not geared to this to this kind of, of stuff. Especially she's a more intimate singer songwriter. In direct contrast to her having played like a big radio tune one second earlier. Right, right. So I don't know where Liz Fair Liz Fair is rated. So I don't know I, the answer I that think, question. I think it's underrated. I think a lot of people don't. Uh, I think I think that was a disappointing pop. I think I think what you're talking about about sort of like the attempt to get some big radio hits, but yeah. I, I think there's some I think there's some really great songwriting on there. I love uh, I like what, what's the line? He doesn't even know who Liz Fair is. Yeah, I, lo- I you know like I, I love the songwriting on that album. After uh, this, I'm using my my iPhone right now, so I can't I can't show you right now. But probably most of the songs that you like from Liz Fair, Liz Fair are actually B sides from ten years earlier, which I have collected <laughs> over the years, and then they just radio mix them and put them on the album. Sure, I would guess. That most of the ones that you like are just yeah, yeah. like oh I'm sure are just those ones. <laughs> All right, uh, so I think I think underrated. You think you don't know how? It's I don't know how it's rated, so I'm not sure. I, I I would say I generally like the album. I would put it in like so you're going to say properly rated is the fifty fourth percentile or something. It's, it's you're going to say better than rated. average. All right, I don't have it at Runaway Horses by Belinda Carlisle. Come on, <laughs> Bolt the Bird. Uh, he wants to know uh, choosing three different draft packs. Oh. Where each player is going to have the same three draft packs, yeah. you're creating a draft format. Yeah, it's not a wacky draft. It's not like everyone just brings whatever three yeah. draft packs they want. So we have eight players at the table. Eight players at the table, three draft packs to create a, a limited environment. What are you going to do? I know my answer already. Who's at the table with me, though? I mean, it's just it's 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 round I, one of a pro tour, wacky draft pro tour. Great friends or like people. Random just, random competitive drafters. I'm going to have my answer, and I don't know if you're going to like it. Okay, so for me, this is difficult. Because I don't like three different draft pack draft formats. Yeah. I like triple champions, triple Innistrad, triple return to Ravnica, triple, you know, that's my thing. Yeah. I like the, the three set drafts. Um, Although I, I really like, uh, my I, I think my favorite, my favorite three set draft pack, draft set, might be the recent return to Ravnica, Gate Crash, Dragon's Maze, full block. My, my number one choice? Urza Saga, Urza Saga, Urza Saga. <laughs> You're just going to take triple Urza Saga? My number two choice, M11, M11, M11. You're not going to, neither of us are going to wacky draft here? <laughs> Those were insane formats. You know, I hate variants. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same, so I'm much. the same, I'm the same. <laughs> like, I mean, I like, I mean, I enjoy variants in the proper context. Oh, no. But when I'm drafting, like, yeah. when I draft... I want to get. I want to be able to execute on a plan. Oh, I so want to badly. look to my left, look to my right. Yeah. Formula drafts my preordain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Andres Pincher, Pincher, I'm sorry, asks. Uh, so this is in response to like the gray merchant question. People were talking about draft formats, and he's like, and I think this ties back to your neural mess. This is something yeah. I alluded to earlier. Uh, he's. I'm in favor of explaining why slow, inefficient removal, which is what Theros has, yeah. like a lot of five mana removal spells, six mana removal spells, uh, makes a draft environment faster and not slower. It's obvious it makes it faster because you're not killing the creatures, right? Like, and you don't like like the idea that like a Doomblade versus 
a sip of hemlock, right? A sip of hemlock costs six. You, like, have to get to enough mana to play it. You, meanwhile, your opponent's is like, I've made this two drop. I'm going to get to untap and protect it with my spells. Yeah. Right? In this way where you have to sit back and, like, deal with this. So you have to play blockers. You have to, like, find turns to get to your removal spell. And then I have an opportunity to, God's willing, giant growth, so do whatever. Let's, 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 uh, let's explain by reverse extension, right? Most dominant creature, most dominant commonly played creature in the history of, of Limited. What would you Wild say? Wild mongrel. You think? Most dominant common creature? Yeah, I, I, don't, I disagree. Vampire Nighthawk. He's Vamp- uncommon, but oh, okay. I'm, I'm at commonly played. Sure, sure, just, sure, sure. I'm sorry, I apologize. Sure. So, and the, the reason I say that is like, you, t- you get this blisteringly fast format, right? Yeah. You just drop a three drop. All of a sudden, <laughs> it's slow as anything. Hard to kill him. He is races Vampire you. Nighthawk, your Va- your Belinda Carlisle of magic cards? For, I love Vampire Nighthawk, but I'm saying it's most dominant limited creature. Like, yeah, I'm no, saying, not, no. not like Morphling dominant. I mean, like, no, I know, a card no, that I know. you see play a it lot. Warp, it warps, it's, it's a card that warps the game around it. Because the format right? with... The whole game warps around Vampire Nighthawk when it's a play. Yeah, so this format's typically very fast, but Vampire Nighthawk's lifelink makes it so that it's not fast anymore. Its death touch makes it so that it's hard to, it's hard to deal with in combat, and the removal is not well suited to removing it. So, like, it would just completely... If you had Vampire Nighthawk, you would just screw up your opponent's strategy because his strategy was to rush you. Now you can play a slow, progressive game where you're not losing enough life to lose a race, right. and he has evasion, and the removal is just literally not going to be there to kill it usually. Right. And, and go, going back to just going back to what we were talking about earlier about like the red-white aggro decks in, in yeah. current Theros, like again, all your cards are just interchangeable, right? Like all your cards just don't matter. It's like the best thing. You're, you're, you have no good cards to value, right? Like. So that's like, the best thing. Brian David Marshall's definition of the best thing. But I mean, no good cards but, to value. But, but it's, it's something you taught me actually about yeah. limited, right? Which is like sometimes you, have, you play your bomb rare and you block and it dies and you trade, yeah. right? Because and and people don't do that. They're like, oh, well, I can't put my bomb rare down here and block here because I'll lose my bomb rare. And it's like, okay, now you're dead. Now you gave up six points of life over two turns. While you were waiting to find some other answer to this card, and your opponent killed you. I got 39 other cards. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then all your cards do something. Like, Reed Duke won a game in Vintage the other day by playing his Simeon Spirit Guide it's and a attacking. Bob. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's what you do. Like, your cards are just your cards. I, no one looking at that game would have thought that Reed was in a bad position. Was in a good position. <laughs> like, the opponent's just like, Black Lotus Bob. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, I think I mean I mean that's that's really what it is, right? Like you just like you have like slow removal. You also have to like you can't rely on it. Like you can, how can you like in a format with two drops and one drops that are not just playable but, but desirably play desirably playable and get better? Like that you're going to somehow count on getting to four or five ma- five well minimum five mana for most removal. Like you have a couple of like cheap removal spells for the most part, you know. Rage of Porphyros or um, Lash of the Whip or Sip of Hemlock or five and six mana. Like, how are you ever going to... Like, you don't even get to five mana in some games are limited. You just don't. It's funny you say that because, like, you earlier mentioned Wild Mongrel, right? Which is obviously my kryptonite. Yeah. And um, I remember... Because I've, I was a contrarian, believe it or not, at the time. I would always draft, like, this deck with all second thoughts. Yeah. And had all these five mana... 
<laughs> like, oh, but I have, like, advantage generating removal spells. And then, like, Scott McCord would just stop attacking. <laughs> just wouldn't attack anymore. And then I'm, like, thinking to myself, well, I'm, I'm going to win, right? Like, he stopped attacking me, and he's just like, how do you think you're going to win? You're going to leave up five mana every single turn. I had, I had, like, I had a fascinating game today. So my opponent, we, we, we attrition, we attrition, okay. we attrition. At the end of it, I have, like, a 1-3, a 2-2, two, two, and a 3-3, three, three, okay? My 3-3 three, three has um, uh, has uh, monstrous, so it can become a 6-6. Six, six. It's a trampler. My opponent has spent four mana on the previous turn to return two creatures from his graveyard. Yeah. One of which is a 2-2 two, two lifelink flyer. And he's tapped now? And no, no. And now he's untapped. Oh, so okay. he has, but he has, like, six or seven mana, and he doesn't play the 2-2 two, two flyer. So I know this yes. means he has uh, Lash of the Whip, right? Like, and so, and he just never uses it because he doesn't want. He wants me to tap my mana to go so monstrous. that it's through monstrous. I'm like, I'm never going to do this. I'm content to just attack you for six, right? You know, I'm, I'm pretty content to just get my guys in there. But eventually and, he has to do it, and then and, you monstrous some well, other guy. Yeah, well, eventually he he uh, he finally drew the land, and then tapped too much land for his flyer. And so he had to cast the Lash of the Whip. I was like, don't worry, buddy. He was like, and he's killing himself. And I'm like, don't worry, buddy. I was never, I was yeah, never, never going to do it. You were just always going to have to do that. But uh, At least you said he was your buddy. Yeah, buddy. You're a beloved member of the community. You yeah. probably really felt good about that. Um, so anyway, so there's that. Uh, Aaron Muranaka. Aaron Muranaka? Pro Tour Top 8 competitor yes. Aaron Muranaka? Yes. I love Aaron Muranaka. He wants to know. Who will be better in three years? Barring LeBron James' return to the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers or the Utah Jazz, Tristan Thompson versus Enos Cantor. Um, I mean, I think I know where your answer is going to go. I, I would guess the Cavaliers would be better in three. I mean, I don't know which what contracts will be up by then. Well, whatever. This is this is this uh, is. But bar, barring barring LeBron, I, I think I think the Cavs will probably be better than. Just, I actually think Tristan Thompson is probably going to win Most Improved Player this year. I think he's going to be a star caliber player. But I think he's going to be a star caliber player of the of the Anderson Varejao vein, which is that he's a star caliber player that no one recognizes as a star, or like the, the right. media doesn't recognize as a star, and that players like. Um, Kyrie Irving are going to continue to uh, accumulate all of the glory, even if Tristan and Vera Jow and, and C.J. Miles this season are going to be the ones who are actually producing the, the statistics that are going to make the team win. I, I would, I think I would guess the Cavaliers are better, and I don't know why. I mean, Enos Cancer doesn't seem to be better than Tristan to me. What would you think? Uh, I think the Cavs. I mean, the Cavs just the Cavs have been just getting all the number one picks. I mean, like, but you, did Andrew Bynum hurt his knees by giving a piggyback ride to? That story was from last year. I looked at the, the this year. No, it was from last. Well, he's year. got he's got hurt knees this year. Yeah, I know he has, but he's playing at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we have an extra. He just promised someone he'd play in Philadelphia at some point, right? He's like, I promised Philadelphia fans, I'll play in Philly. They're playing tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and he's gonna get five minutes. Two points, one rebound. So, so last night, so uh, I was going to watch the. Uh, I was at a movie club and I was going to watch the game on my phone, but I was out with the Sony Sai who has an NBA league house at his house, and he, I can be in the same building as him. Yeah. So no, I just come watch it in my house. So the Cavs are like, when when they're they're up in the third when I'm looking on the, my phone in the car. We get to his house and they're they're only down by four at the beginning of the quarter. They're down, down, down. They're down by a bazillion. Then with like a minute to go. Suddenly they're up a point, and I'm like, "How did this happen?" I'm like, first I was like, "Man, can't believe I'm not like, whatever my list of things I could be doing is." But they're up a point with like 
you know, a minute to go. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I watched this game. You know, uh, the Bucks score back, which, which you do, you know, that you can't go on a run forever. So 24 seconds left. Kyrie's got the ball. And he has a clear path to the basket. There's nobody between him and the basket. 24 seconds left. He's just, he's unstoppable once he gets to the paint. Sure. And he dribbles it off of his foot. Oh. And I was just like, I wanted to get so mad. And then I looked at his line. I'm like, he had an insane game. Like, he was so good last night. And he only had two turnovers. It just so happened that sure. the that the go-ahead win basket was the one that was one of his he's, two turnovers. He, he's on my list of must-watch basketball players. He, was, he, he had such he's a, tremendous. Dion had a good game. The only reason they, they lost, like, Gary Neal and O.J. Mayo. I mean, I was just like, Gary Neal is so pissed. Why did you not make all these threes against Miami in the finals, you <laughs> fat idiot? Gary Neal and O.J. Mayo shot, like... 10 three-pointers they all went in like do you remember when we went to that game with uh, AJ Soccer Cavs against Cavs the against Hawks? the Knicks oh Cavs against the Knicks and then like Baron Davis just went off like he just threw oh, every God, single yes. shot and they just all went in that night yeah yeah it was just the Baron Davis experience like <laughs> nothing Gary Neal threw you didn't watched, go watched, to the bottom you of the basket Baron Davis on NBA TV no. He's like he's like uh, commentating on really well I guess he's like more like news desk but yeah um okay that's where we're wrapping up uh, some deafening stream noise for AJ Soccer, who asked. He's like, I don't really have a topic, but I want to know if there'd be deafening street noise. There is. There you go. Deafening street noise. Um, Alex Ullman has a bevy of questions. So we'll just speed, we'll just speed around these. How good are the world rankings at tracking the best players of a moment? Pretty good. Who do they have at first? Sam Black? Uh, it's, uh, I think it's Ben Stark still. Ben Stark. It, it goes over like Reed is third, right? Yeah, something Who's like in that. second? Josh Underlayton. These are all pretty good players. <laughs> I, I, Something like that. Um, I mean, but if any rating system that doesn't have John first is, in, is quite a, flawed. It's, oh, it's flawed! Oh, my God. Sh- shut up, John. <laughs> like, John John, John is going to be critical of any rating system. that It's like, look, this... I'm critical of a system that it's doesn't a system, have John first. It's a system that ranks players based on their performance at events over the course of a year. It is not how good that player is in relation... To Brian, each other. I'm just joking. I know. I know. Okay. John. John is just John, mildly infuriating, with his sort of, you know, if you were adherence John, to Elo. If you were John, and you saw a rating system if that was, didn't have you if in I first, was John, if I was John, I would have enough confidence in my mastery of magic that I wouldn't need to, things. and all other things <laughs> that I wouldn't need to. Uh, to bellyache, as my mother would say. Has to bellyache. I'm just saying. It apparently does. If you saw a rating system that didn't have you first, oh, you know what John said to me last night? What? Like you look like you've lost weight. Oh, that's very nice. That's nice of him. Yeah. I think I just hadn't seen him in a month. Uh, <laughs> Check my new shoes. Those are pretty sweet. Actually. Did you see this part? Look at the look at the look at the 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 logo part. Look what it says. I can't read it from here. Love. Love, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Um, he wants to know how much Marvel is currently winning the live action. I mean, they're just like, annihilating DC. Yeah. Right? I mean, so... The, uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not very good. Well, two of the... I don't know how well it's sorry, doing. Two of the three movies that DC made for Batman were really good, right? Super duper good. But Marvel's tonnage of movies is... All their movies are pretty good, at least. And some of them are very good. Like, both, Iron Man both, 1's very good. Both Captain America, New Captain America, and New Thor both look awesome. I'm going to Thor this weekend. Oh, I'm, I'm going to probably go see Thor this weekend, too. Did you see Ender's Game last weekend? I didn't. I did. I didn't see it yet. So, I actually want to discuss this. So you put it up on your Facebook wall yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to seem insensitive when I say this. But... 
Twitter. Clearly, I'm going to be insensitive yeah. to some amount of the to listeners. And I know reasonably intelligent people who feel the, the opposite way from me, who are completely incoherent in their explanations of this. I don't understand what people are trying to get at when they're like, I won't see Ender's Game. I don't want they to don't, put money into Orson Scott they, Card's pocket. Right. They're, the, the, this, they're working under the assumption that Orson Scott Card, listed as a producer yeah. and as someone who owns the property that it's based on, receives money based on successful box office. And even if he doesn't receive money based on ticket sales, yeah. if the movie gets a sequel, that puts even more money into his pocket, which will then be used, as he's done with his money in the past, for anti-gay... Uh, propaganda. So, right? He's 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 been very very active. Uh, did you did you read the link to the, the yeah the the, 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 the the Muslim guy the Muslim guy? I mean, that was phenomenal, it was really, it was really phenomenally yeah. beautiful piece on Grantland. Uh, and he's, he's written these nuanced gay and Muslim characters in his books right. that are so beloved of the other characters. It, anyway, I, I, what I want to get at is like if you just want to look at Ender's Game in the abstract, right? Sure. I actually thought that it looked good from a from a commercials or whatever standpoint. Yeah. It's clearly one of the best science fiction books ever written. It's right. phenomenal. Me and, me and Brian Kibler for over 10 years have just been saying the enemy's gate is down to each other sure. every time we see each other. And and um, and it seemed pretty good to me. It has an insane cast. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I like to see some of those things in, in adaptation. I, I love the book. And I also understand how, the, how these deals are. First of all, Orson Scott Card is not an executive producer. I understand. He's not... He's only the, 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 the issue is that the they so the studio some... wants to make it into a franchise. Yeah. Okay? studio wants to make it into a film franchise, and subsequent films will certainly put money in Orson Scott Card. This is not why I haven't seen it. I actually... So here's my radical theory. Yeah. Ready? This is really radical, and this is probably going to upset more people than whatever you I just said. I know what said. you're about to say. Putting money in Orson Scott Card's pocket that he then uses for anti-gay propaganda... Is good. ...is actually just good. Because the more crazy old white men rail about like two people, two men shouldn't be allowed to get married, the more absurd that sounds. And I think that that money is actually far more effective at advancing like LBGT causes than donating that money to those causes. Directly. I thought you were going to say that you were just going to send an offsetting $12 or whatever to your... No, no, no. I would just say I was going to send an <laughs> offsetting $12. I wouldn't actually send it. So, um, th- so this is my position, which is that... I, think I mean, I don't actually. I don't actually feel like you should put money in those. I, I do think that the the negative, um, you know, attention of, of things like the Westboro Baptist Church and Orson Scott Cards, yeah, like people are horrible. They're horrible people. But you know what? I think they actually just force people to go. Oh my God, my positions are so stupid. <laughs> Seth Burns said to me once, you know, when I was in, in younger years, and we were talking about things, he's like. You know, Mike, your positions are very well reasoned. I just want to remind you that all the things that you've said, a Klansman would probably agree with. <laughs> and I was just like, man, that was rough. Um, the, the way I look at it is like, Orson Scott Card probably got about like $600,000 a few years ago when they bought the option. Then he got some more money when they made the movie. He's not a. He's not a. Well, what about all the additional sales he gets from book sales? He's not, he's not an executive producer. What about all the additional money? Additional from money book from book sales has nothing to do with whether or not you go see the movie. Sure. Okay. There's nothing to do. Well, with the, that. if the movie, no, the people having the movie, this conversation, the, movie, the movie's additional, this conversation the movie's additional, are not driving book sales. The movie's additional presence in the theaters, the longer it runs, the more talk it gets. Come Oscar time, the more. It's I mean, I mean whatever. I saw the movie. It's not getting any Oscars. Of course it will. It's gonna get some. It's gonna get some for sound effects editing. Okay. <laughs> 
Obviously. The second There's a lot of explosions. Okay, it's been around for a long time. It's won every it's I know, I know. every relevant award. I'm not saying if you haven't read it, you're not you're not going to yeah. read it or whatever. I'm just saying that there's little to no. And by the way, LGBT, by the way, sorry. Uh, tactile connection between whether I go to a movie or not and putting any money in Orson Scott Card's pocket. Sure. The movie probably has to make something on the order of a billion dollars for that to happen. So, And like, if it does, you have only yourselves to blame. Yeah, well, the number of movies that make a billion dollars, I can think of two off the top of my head yeah. that came out in the last 15 years, and they both came out of the Marvel Studios. Yeah. So, oh, actually, no, um, Inception also made a billion dollars, right? I think so. Yeah. I can't even think of another movie that's made, that's made money on that, on that level. And I don't think Orson's going to see very much money, if at all, unless Thor, the movie Thor makes... Is Thor going to be number one this weekend? What are, what are the competitors? I have no idea. It's, it's got to be. It, it looks so good. Um, Game of Thrones director? Uh, Alan Taylor? You think it looks... Do you like the first one? I, I actually do like the first one. I, like, I, I, I also like the first one. I like one. the first one. I mean, I think that there's like a bunch of... There's a couple of weird things in it in terms of like, they're like, ah, crap, we used all our budget on Asgard. We'd better fight on a prairie. <laughs> I mean, but, like, they, they use words like dark matter pretty annoyingly in the... <laughs> How much dark more, matter more, do you say? Like, oh my god, more, the universe is made of dark more, matter. More or, less, more or less annoying than a cold fusion bomb to freeze a volcano in the Star Trek franchise. Because um, that's not how cold fusion works. Okay. I didn't have any problem with this merge. I actually like that movie. So, uh, I like that movie too. I'm going to rapid fire a bunch of movies from the okay. same summer. You tell me which ones are good or bad. Green Lantern. Bad. Horrible. <laughs> so horrible. Bad. So horrible. bad. Horrible. Thor, pretty good. Captain America. I, I love Captain America. I like it I'm too. also a big Joe Johnson fan. So the director of Captain America, like he did The Rocketeer, which is a movie that's dear to my heart. I love The Rocketeer. I don't know if you remember, but it was like 13 years ago, and you know, Hitch and uh, Hitch and Millar were like doing the Ultimates. And you're like, they should just do the Captain America movie of this. Like, just do the Captain America movie of him like being World War II, etc. Yeah, and that's the movie they made yeah, for you, Brian. I'm, that's it's what exactly I've always the wanted. Movie you wanted. It's exactly. And the you were the writer of Captain America at the time. <laughs> This is the one that they should have made. Um, let's see, let's see. And then well, one more. Uh, Transformers Dark of the Moon. You seen that one? Uh, no. One of the worst reviewed movies of all time. It's made over $350 million yeah. at this point. I love that movie. It's good. I have, I have seen that. I've been currently working my way through the Die Hard in a White House trilogy. Sorry. Die Hard in a White House. So there's three different movies that came out last summer. That are all the same. That are all about, like... Well, let me see if I can say them. Okay. White House Down, is that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I White haven't House seen there? that one yet. Okay, White House Down. Uh... Olympus has fallen. Correct. Okay, I'm not going to get the other one. What is it? GI Joe two. Oh! It's, by the way, GI Joe. That's like GI Joe four. By the way. Yeah. It's, GI Joe, GI Joe Retaliation, another GI Joe, and then then this one. It's right? Just, it's just so bad. I did not know. Th- it's so bad. Like, it was terrible. I got two of them. Um, uh, so anyway, all right, we're going to skip over the rest of Alex Ullman. Anyway, I actually liked Ender's Game. Movie. Yeah. I okay. didn't think it was a, the best yeah. movie. I don't certainly don't think it's an Oscar worthy movie, but. Maybe sponge-worthy, sure. to take my meaning. Yeah. Uh, Kevin on asked about the 1314 land decks. We, we talked about that already. Uh, here's an interesting question. Ian Bennett, to what extent uh, have the skills you learned playing Magic helped you in the real world? I mean... Uh, I mean, just like everything I do. Everything I do. Yeah, everything I do. Like, uh, uh, all, all of my, like... I mean, I'm a, I am a professional game designer. And a professional writer. And a professional... Uh, I mean, I already knew how to write, but... But, I mean, like... He, like in a material way, in an audience-generating way. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I, I would say that you know. I mean, certainly, ma- it certainly completely impacted my management style. Completely impacted my network. I was just going like to say your... my network of uh, super smart people. 
uh, I would you know, say you always want to you always want to work with people smarter than you, and magic is a great way to always do that. Patrick Chapin <laughs> said to me a few years ago, and I actually rewrote my understanding of the universe after this, which is that there's only one game. The game is magic, and you apply it to however many things you want. You get good at it. You can apply it to more things, and you're always playing the game, and uh, and. That's actually Patrick's vision of, like, the world, and you can kind of see that in, in what he thinks about things. And, uh, we were talking, we had a conversation just this past summer about what happens when people go on tilt. You know, sometimes people go on tilt and they get angry at their opponent. Yeah. Why would you get angry at your opponent because you got mana screwed? When you're playing Mario Kart and your guy dies, do you throw the controller, right? It's just, this is the game. These are the rules of the game. Your, your, your objective is to play the game on... On the rules of the game and, and sure. do as well as you can and learn what you can. Uh, the, the, I mean, the answer, absolutely no reservations for my team. Every single thing that I do is uh, ultimately an, an extension of the things that I learned in Magic. Which is why I, I think I love it so much and want to play it forever. Made all my friends for me. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, same. Uh, people want to know, they want our favorite Grand Prix won by Matt Wang as a suggested topic. Boston 2006, I want to say. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Teen pop stars, comic books and television, Larry Legend and the Pacers bench. Wait, that, that's a, so slow down. So teen pop stars. <laughs> um, I was just rolling right past right, so that Teen one. pop stars. I, I was actually telling people at my, at my office this week, I didn't really know who Miley Cyrus was before... She got voted number one Maxim. She's, she's the current reigning Maxim Hot 100 Most Beautiful Woman in the World. Okay. You know, formerly held by Olivia Wilde. and, and sure. women of the, So I was like, isn't that, like, I think I'd heard the name from Hannah Montana or whatever, right. you know, yeah. five, five plus years earlier. Like, and I looked at her and like, she just pretty much is like this skinny girl who looks exactly like Justin Bieber. And then I saw her on, I think, Jimmy Kimmel Live. I'm like, oh, actually, no, she's, it's a good selection. She's very, very super hot. Um, so that, and Bieber is apparently a disaster now though, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I've been watching this show uh, my wife turned, turned, turned me on to we watched a few episodes together last week uh, called I was like, Real Husbands of Hollywood is that the, it's oh, on, good it's lord on, oh good lord it's on BET okay and it's a fake reality show oh okay and all the guys who are on it are like it's like Curb Your Enthusiasm with okay. rich black guys okay and like one of the guys um uh, was actually on the last few seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. And, like, it's, like, a bunch of rich black guys, including, like, Kevin Hart, who's, okay. like, a, a well-known comedian. Yeah, 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 I know who he is. Uh, like Mariah, He's that well-known, I yeah, know. Like, like, Nick Cannon, who's, like, Mariah Carey's husband. And then, like, randomly, the guy that, that Miley Cyrus was grinding on, what's his name? Uh, Robin Thicke. Thicke. Robin Thicke is, like, the one white guy. Alan Thicke's, yeah. Alan Thicke's, Thicke's son. son. So it's just, like, this show where, like, Apparently, all and, and the, one of the bigger pop stars yeah. in the universe. Yeah, the wives are all like Mariah Carey, whatever. So they're like all rich, and then the husbands are like ne'er do wells, <laughs> except for Kevin Hart, who has to work, and so he's like jealous that like the other ones are just always playing golf or whatever. But they're all rich, right? Right, so, right. Um, I, it's actually incredibly hilarious. It's, okay. it's like a, it's just like Kirby enthusiasm, but not dry humor because it's not you know, right. It's not Larry David, but uh, it's just like over the top humor. Um, a, a plot line might be like Cedric the Entertainer dressing like as a bear and harassing people. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, that was that was uh, Sean McClear asking for teen pop stars. He also asked about comic books and television. But we've talked about at least yeah, we've talked about both of those actually today. What yeah. television we talking about? Well, we talked about. Well, I guess we talked about comic book movies. You said, you said Agent and Shield then we're going to talk about Agent. I've only seen the first. And then we, you know, the the new Defenders announcement. 
Um, but that's going to be like four or five years of rolling out, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to start, what, 2015, I think yeah, they said so the first episodes roll out? You, you think expectation one series per year? So, like, it's going to start with Daredevil, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage. Maybe 2018 we see a Defenders movie? Is that the... Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I love the Netflix formula. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so do I. So do I. Uh, Larry Legend and the Pacers bench. That's Jared Keith Williams. Well, I don't know. What do you want me to say about this? He's from Indiana. Do you like the Pacers bench? <laughs> um, I think the Pacers are an incredibly good team. Yeah. They thumped the Cavs last week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the Pacers are probably going to finish somewhere in the top four in the East, but will not go to the finals. I, 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 I do believe that, you know, ever, you know, the Pacers were certainly a team that the Knicks should have beaten the playoffs last year, like without JR's knee injury and Carmelo's shoulder tear. Um, but you know they 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 were a good team. Those guys put up some D, and their point they're, guard is so so wonderful. Like, you know they've got all these guys that like, their bigs are really good. They have a bunch of good bigs. Every here's the thing: every single one of their starting five yeah. can play defense, and on most teams, there's not one person on their starting five who can play defense. So this is the thing that's crazy about the Pacers, right? Uh, I think they probably have five like arguable all stars, right? You know whether whether. How many guys named George are going to make the All-Star team or not? They've got, I think, probably around five arguable All-Stars, you know, from some point in the past or, or present. Uh, but of the teams that I would predict would be in the top half of the East, uh, you know, the Bulls, Miami, etc., I would most likely, I, I would most like to play against the Pacers as the Cavs. Like, I don't think the Cavs have a prayer against Miami. I don't think the Cavs have a prayer against the Bulls. But I think that... Not, I'm not sure they'd have a pair against the Pacers, but I think it'd be more likely to beat the, the Pacers than the Bulls or, or Miami. And I don't know who you would... Who would you round up the top half of the of the East? New, actually, if, if you put Brooklyn in the top half of the East, the Cavs would torch them. So. I'm not going to put Brooklyn... I, 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 first of all, I can't tell you how much I just... I hate that Brooklyn squad. No, I understand. I understand it. You understand I'm not going to put any logic to no, this? No, 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 no. I understand it all. I, I, I couldn't put into words because... You know, Cedric Phillips is saying, no, this seems pretty good. And and I understand it. I understand it completely. Okay? I, 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 and, 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 I am going to blow your mind. I hate Garnett and I hate Pierce, but neither of them as much as I hate freaking Jason Terry. I freaking hate, hate Jason Terry. I hate that guy. No, I'll, I'll explain this to you. I understand it, okay? How do you feel about Tarmogoyf? How do you feel about that guy? That I love Tarmogoyf. Is that a good creature? Yeah, I love it. It's a good creature, right? How do you feel about, I don't know, Lurgoyf? I don't know, it's all right. It's all right, right? Yeah. All right. They're in play together. Which one's better? Depends. Depends, right? Right, yeah. Not clearly one sure, or the other, sure. right? Yeah, let's talk. Tar- 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 how do you feel about Lurgo? Right, I, 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 I how do you feel about um, Greed? How do you feel about that card? No, you not, know, not very good. Not very good. How do you feel about Gristlebrand? Uh, much better. Really, really yeah. good, right? If he had Greed play, it'd be fine. Again, contextual, sure. Yeah, if he had Greed play, it's fine. I bet there are a lot of times Greed's better than Gristle Brand. Yeah. I'm not very often. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, let me think for a second here. Let me think for a second. How do you feel about, um, how do you feel about skate zombies? I love them. No, really. How do you feel about them? <laughs> how do you feel about them? No feelings whatsoever. Come on. Plus or minus skate zombies. Come on. Neutral. Neutral? Yeah. All right. Uh, All right, just... How do you feel about Isamaro Hound of Conda? I love it. You love it, right? Yeah. So if you have an if you have on one side of the table, you got an Isamaro Hound of Conda, a Tarmogoyf, and a Gristle brand. On the other side of the table, you've got a greed 
the skin zombies, and the Lurgoid, it's actually not clear that the Isamaru Anaconda, Tarmogoyf, and Gristlebrit are going to beat the greed okay. Lurgoyf and Skate Zombies. Why the fuck did you pay for a Skate Zombies, a Greed, and a Lurgoyf when you could have bought an Isamaru Anaconda, a Gristlebrand, and a Tarmogoyf? That's why the Brooklyn Nets don't make any sense. Because... No one in their right mind pays three mana for a 2-2 when you can get it for one. Right. That's the problem with them. No one should argue when those players are on the floor that they couldn't play competently. Right. Brooke Lopez is a poet on offense. Seven-foot-tall player who likes the blue flash but can't, can't <laughs> grab a rebound. I mean, max contract player plays center, can't grab a rebound. Who is he? Andrea Bargnani? Okay. But he's a poet on offense, okay? Sure. Nope. Paul Pierce has had games where I just shake my head like Shaquille O'Neal. The man can... If he, his best games are among the best games anyone's ever played, right? His 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 beast mode is terrifying. His beast mode is it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Kevin Garnett sustained years as arguably the best player in the NBA. And a cheater. But you do not pay all of these contracts at the same time in 2013 when you... They didn't even retain well, their all, best players. Right. But they all come off the books at the same time, right? Like, they, they're all clear... Next That's year? a reason to pay five hundred million extra dollars. I like, no, the hey, I don't have sense. I don't have Mad KGB money. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know what I would do. It ain't make no sense. All okay, right. so you pointed out a second ago that my we've been talking for one hour thirty five minutes fifty five seconds. My phone's about to die. Yes. When I hit this button, we're gonna pray that I don't erase it again, right? Correct. To who are we gonna pray? That was a trick question. Odin. To Odin. It's always Odin. It's Odin on Friday. <laughs> All Father. Yeah. Gave his eye Odin. to make sure that, that this podcast was. Any closing thoughts? Any closing thoughts? Uh, my my closing thoughts are that Grey Merchant of Asphodel is properly rated, not over or underage. I think it's properly rated. It's a strong card. I'm happy to pick it first. And I think it is a signal if I get one passed to me. Okay. That's my closing thought. What did you think about my Brooklyn Nets analogy? I thought it was convoluted. You understand? Much it? like much like the Nets strategy of putting together a team. You understand it now yeah. after I said it though, right? Yeah. It makes sense to you? Yeah. Alright, so this is and, uh, and Michael Carter Williams is really good at basketball. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> this was such a blown draft. I, I I don't think he's gonna end up being a complete bust. And he's obviously not gonna be as bad as Andrea Bargnani. Another A.B. Oh, my God. Another A.B. Picked first. Yeah. But we could have taken Victor Oladipo. I mean, look. We could. Michael Carter-Williams, I was just like, I should have gone first. So, I mean, he wants to play for the Cavs because I'll take him. <laughs> I'll take him. But, I mean, he's going to be playing. If he were on the Cavs, he'd be playing behind, you know, Irving, Dion, and Jack, right? Like, yeah. it's. We're well, he gets, a, he gets a chance to just throw himself right into the mix in Philadelphia, right? There's nothing in his way. So, anyway, those are my closing thoughts. Spencer Hawes. Spencer Hawes. All right, so uh, this is Michael J. Flores. Brian David Marshall, Top 8 Magic, saying bye. Bye, Canada. Hey.